Thank you. Well, brothers and sisters, we are continuing our series on outsiders in the Scriptures and what God does with those outsiders, and consequently considering what God does for us as we are outsiders, but also what God calls us to do in relation to those who may not seem to belong in some way in this world. We've already spoken with Adam, about Adam and Eve who were tossed out of the garden because they chose to rebel against God. They made themselves outsiders from God's will and yet God extended to them grace and promised them salvation through uh, the offspring of the woman who would, of course, be Jesus. We spoke also of Noah and how, unlike Adam and Eve, he was an outsider from society because he chose to obey God. And, and though Noah was not a perfect person, he nonetheless was righteous according to God and his view, certainly in comparison with society. And then we spoke as well, uh, who was the third that we spoke of? Anybody? Hagar. Yes, thank you. We spoke of Hagar and how, yeah, I mean, she wasn't perfectly innocent in her behavior and attitude towards Sarai, her mistress, but nonetheless, she was given abuse by Sarai and treated badly by her. And so she ran away from an abusive situation and God welcomed her and promised her great things in spite of how she was an outsider. So we've seen outsiders who have chosen to rebel against God. We have seen outsiders who have chosen to obey God and reject society. And we have seen outsiders who weren't particularly choosing one way or another, God or not God, but who were being rejected by people for one reason or another. Now we are going to look at Rahab who makes herself an outsider in some ways, who has been an outsider in some other ways, and we're going to find out what God does with her. So I would invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter here. Now we have to remember, there, there are a whole bunch of contextual things that we need to be aware of, but also there are some difficulties that we need to acknowledge and be aware of in, in the story of Joshua, right? And, and truth be told, the, the whole, <laughs> there are some difficulties throughout the scriptures that we have to confront and be aware of. Not that the scriptures are wrong by any stretch of the imagination, but we need to be honest about how difficult some of the aspects of the scriptures are. So, for example, when we talk about the plagues of Egypt, right, we get to the point where God gives the plague of the firstborn sons. And God essentially sends the angel of death to slaughter the firstborn children 
and cattle and so on of Egypt. That, that probably shouldn't be an easy story to deal with. Of course, God is right and righteous and holy and just and has good reasons. And even, even if we don't understand those reasons, we need to remember our place in the story. But it probably shouldn't be all that easy for us to wrestle with. Similarly, when it comes to Joshua, Judges, we need to remember and acknowledge that what God commands the people of Israel to do the Can to the Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites and Jebusites, all the ites, right? It, it probably shouldn't be a story or a series of stories that is entirely comfortable for us. It doesn't mean that we question God and His actions. It doesn't mean that we put ourselves above God as if we could judge God. No, no, no. But we probably shouldn't just gloss over them either and just say, oh, well, yeah, fine, whatever. Right? Because questions of genocide, which is what God seems to command the people of Israel to do, uh, should be <laughs> questions that we wrestle with. In a similar manner, but on a much smaller, more intimate scale, we should really examine how we look at this story of Rahab and what happens there. So as you know, Joshua uh, and the people of Israel are, are just the other side of the Jordan River, about to go into the land of Israel, but they want to send in spies. Earlier, remember, uh, <coughs> Moses had sent in spies to check out the land uh, of, of Canaan and, and check out what was going on in there. And, and those spies had returned and said, wow, it's amazing that land, but we're terrified of the giants who live there. Right, And so as a result of that, uh, the people of Israel didn't go into the land of Canaan and wandered the desert for another 40 years. But Joshua, he was one of the two spies <coughs> who said, no, 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 we can do this. God has called us to do it. We can do it. And so partly as a reward for that, uh, Joshua's faithfulness, Joshua has been appointed the leader of the people of Israel um, after Moses' leadership. So Joshua, son of Nun, they're back at, the, back at the borders to the land of Canaan. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now we need to pause for a moment, of course. Uh, we need to pause for a couple of different reasons. <coughs> First of all, uh, pretty much every English translation that we have will say that Rahab was a prostitute. And, and there's good reason for that, because that Hebrew word that is used there is used for prostitution and sexual immorality on numerous occasions throughout the Old Testament. It is also true... And, and you can kind of imagine how this could happen. It is also true that it can conceivably be used for uh, simply an innkeeper, right? Uh, and uh, this works simply this way. You run a brothel and you have places for people to sleep, hence innkeeper, right? But also, hence possibly 
prostitute. So, <clears throat> regardless, um, it is very likely that Rahab was a woman involved in some kind of prostitution. Uh, it is also very likely, because prostitution was a thing like this back then, uh, it is also very possible that she was involved in some kind of worship towards um, pagan gods and that this was the kind of prostitution that she was possibly involved in. Regardless, we should ask ourselves questions, right? Just like when Adam and Eve are in the garden and Satan is tempting Eve with the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we read through that and, and, then, and then we read that Eve takes one because it looks desirable and it is good for gaining wisdom, right? And then we read that she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it, right? We should pause and think, uh, Adam, what? You were there the whole time and you said nothing and you didn't stop her and you just went along with it? Ah, uh, man, so too, we should probably ask ourselves, why were the spies staying at a prostitute's house? Right? They were sent by God's chosen leader, Joshua, to spy out the land, not to have a nice night. Right? This wasn't what they sent for. Regardless, and we don't know exactly what happened there or anything like that, regardless, that's where they stay. The king of Jericho, somehow he finds out, right? The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out, obviously, somehow, right? They found out that these spies were sent and they went to Rahab's house. So he says, uh, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please 
swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, <coughs> we will treat you kindly and faithfully. When the Lord gives us Excuse me. When the Lord gives us the land. She'll, so she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell us what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. <coughs> Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's talk about Rahab for a minute. Rahab is an interesting lady. Let's say, for example, that you are a citizen of Canada. Fair enough. You're a citizen of Canada and you have the strong feeling, you've sensed which way the wind is blowing, you know that God is with the United States, let's say. And you find out that spies are coming in from the United States into Canada. And not only do you not turn these spies over to the authorities, you hide and shelter these spies. And you say to them, I know, I know that God has given this land into your hand. I can sense which way the wind is blowing. I can feel the tension in the people of Canada as they fear the oncoming onslaught of the Americans who have God on their side. How do you think the people of Canada would view you? We have a word for that kind of behavior. It is normally called being a traitor. 
being a traitor, which is something generally that is not looked up to. We don't usually say, hey, that person was a traitor to their country. Yes! In fact, if you watch movies <coughs> that include traitors, often even the people who are getting helped by the traitor don't trust the traitor. Right? They'll say, well, you know, you've been a traitor to your own country. What, does, what makes us think that you wouldn't tra- be a traitor to us as well? They are considered untrustworthy, even if they are doing you a favor. Not only that, of course, but, but Rahab, if indeed she was a prostitute, which seems entirely likely, is doing something that is contrary to the morality of the people of Israel. God, God says clearly in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not just go about and have intercourse with anybody whom you want. <coughs> it's not how things should be done. Not only that, but often as we have learned over studying the Scriptures for many, many years, often these, these prostitutes were often connected with the worship of pagan foreign gods. So Rahab is doubly, triply a person of suspect moral character from a lot of different standpoints. And then, if we think about this story carefully, if we think about this story carefully, we find out that that Rahab lies to the authorities. Lies to the authorities in order to betray her own people. She's a traitor who lies to the authorities in order to turn them over to a foreign power. It's, it's, it's a little, if we think about it, a little like Samuel going to anoint David as the king of Israel while Saul is still on the throne. And, and, and Samuel says, what am I going to say to people when, when, when Saul's soldier or Saul's, Saul himself comes to me and says, what are you doing? Right? And, and God says to him, well, tell them that you're going to go sacrifice with Jesse, which is true. Right? But what do we do with that? Well, this is part of the interesting thing. Because what does God do with Rahab? What does God do with Rahab? If you turn with me to Matthew, you want to turn with me to the book of Matthew for a moment. Matthew chapter 1. Let's find out what happens in Matthew. This is the genealogy. This is chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. 
Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon. David was the father, oh, sorry, I skipped over a little bit. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. <laughs> right? So, <coughs> not only, not only does God accept the promise that, that, that these soldiers gave to this prostitute slash traitor slash liar, not only does God accept that promise and honor that promise, and so do the people of Israel in, in a somewhat sadly rare moment of actual obedience, but they also, they get integrated into the family of God, into the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. And so, once again, we see an outsider who is not left outside. Adam and Eve were not left outside. In spite of their colossal and direct rebellion against the God who not only created them, but gave them all kinds of authority and who walked and talked with them in the garden. Their rebellion, God does not leave them abandoned alone in the wilderness forever, but instead He promises salvation through the woman who was the lead in <laughs> taking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not only that, but Noah, who was an outsider for some, from society and really, really was not <coughs> all that perfect in his moral character, witnessing his drunkenness after the flood and his children witnessing his <sighs> nakedness and shame. But Noah also is given the benefit of the doubt and kept in the family of God and saved from an apocalyptic flood that destroyed all the civilization of people whose thoughts were all wickedness all the time. And Hagar, who is outside, not necessarily fully because of her own fault, but because of the vindictiveness and maliciousness of Sarai, who gave her in the first place to make love to her husband so that she could have a family bypassing the way God was planning for things to do. And God takes her as she is outcast and brings her back into the family and says, I will bless you and I will make you a great nation. And then God, we skip forward and there's all kinds of outsiders we could have visited in between Hagar and Rahab. But God takes Rahab, a liar, a traitor, a prostitute, a foreigner. And not only does He protect her from the miraculous destruction of Jericho, 
and the overwhelming military victory of the Israelites over the people of Jericho. Not only does he protect her and her family from that, but he brings her into the nation of Israel. And not only does he bring her into the nation of Israel, he makes her one of the women who will bear the offspring, who will crush the head of the serpent that has led us down the path of rebellion against God. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? There's a few things we need to do with that. And, and I, I would say, forgive me if I sound like a broken record, but, but this is a message that is so hard for us to get. And we are so good at ignoring it that it bears repeating. We need to remember, first of all, that we are no different than Rahab. Uh, my particular outwardly expressed sins may not be or may not have been exactly the same as Rahab's, but I am a sinner who has been redeemed only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so my sins are no less than hers. No less than hers. And so I need to be just as grateful to my God for His salvation for me as Rahab was when her family was saved from the destruction of Jericho, was welcomed into the family of God, became part of the special nation of Israel. I need to be grateful in that way too. I need to be humble in that way too. I can't walk around, I can't walk around like, like Paul... <laughs> was tempted to do, saying, look at me, I'm Pharisee of Pharisees, Israelite of Israelite, right? I, I'm, I'm like the man. Can't do that. But it, because it is through no fault or no goodness of my own that I am embraced into the family of God. Secondly, we need to remember, remember and not forget that God's love for the outsider extends not only to Rahab, not only to Hagar, not only to Adam and Eve, not only to Noah, but extends to all the outsiders. Everyone who's a prostitute, everyone who worships pagan gods, everyone who's a foreigner, everyone who's a liar, everyone who is different from us in whatever way is loved by God. They may not yet accept that love and perhaps 
perhaps they never will accept that love, and God's not going to force them to accept that love, but they are loved by God, and there is nothing that can change that. Just like my father-in-law said to me long, long ago, Dan, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you any less, and there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more. He just loves you. And so we need to remember that the love of God extends to all the outsiders. No matter what they look like, no matter what they have done, no matter what their past is, no matter what their nationality, no matter anything you can name, no matter what, God loves them. And then along with that, we need to remember that it is not God alone who loves them, but we too are called in his name to love them. Tell you a story from long, long ago in my past. Long, long ago when I was going to university uh, at Trinity Western University in, in Langley, British Columbia, we would often go on Friday evenings to downtown uh, Vancouver. And I don't know how familiar you are with Vancouver, but East Hastings Street, which is in sort of that downtown area, is generally considered to be the worst, most depressed, most difficult, uh, most homeless, most, yeah, it's messed up downtown uh, East Hastings neighborhood. Lots of drugs, lots of poverty, lots of homelessness, lots of struggles. And we would go and we would do um, street evangelism. And, and, and it was great because the street evangelism that they were talking about was not going around handing out leaflets and saying, you know, on the street corners, do you know the love of God? And just sort of letting people go, right? No, it was, it was building relationships with people who lived in that area. We would sit down and we would have a meal with them. We would buy them dinner. Uh, I remember uh, there's a restaurant down there. I don't know if it's still there called the Ovaltine. That seems like a very strange name for a restaurant, but what can you do? Anyways, so I, oh, I remember one time I, I bought spaghetti meal for a gentleman who was on the street who was very, very hungry. And he had been hungry for so long that he could literally only, we sat down to eat with him, and he could literally only eat two or three bites, and he said that he was full, stuffed full, because his stomach had shrunk into nothing, and probably his drug use had messed up his ability to digest food and, and eat and so on, and he was just, it was terrible. And, and then, you know, during that same time in that same restaurant, we went over to talk to a lady who was sitting by the, by the counter. <laughs> and, and my partner and I, we went in pairs, um, a, a man and a woman, we went in pairs to make sure everybody was safe and everything was done properly and so on. And we just were talking with, with a lady and she, she reeked of alcohol. Um, and she was clearly a, a woman who did things that probably uh, she never would have dreamed of doing as a child 
growing up, certainly something that her parents never would have wanted for her. And she, she reached up and, and, and grabbed me in a place that I don't want anybody to grab me in, uh, really, and said, what about you, big boy? Are you looking for a good time? And I had to, I, I, I wanted to have a shower for like hours and hours and hours after that. But at the same time, I had to remember that my Jesus, who loves me, loves her. And it doesn't matter. In some ways, I mean, right and wrong, that does matter. What you do does matter in some ways. But the, as far as the love of God is concerned, God loves her no matter what she has done. Even as she sat there smelling of alcohol, doing things that I would never want anybody to do to me, she's a beautiful image bearer of God. And I needed to remember that in that moment and we need to remember that with all of the people with whom we come into contact. Whomever God brings to us, we need to remember that we were those outsiders, maybe not in the specifics, but in the heart, in the mind, in our nature, in our rebellion of God, against God. We are those outsiders. And we need to remember how God treats those outsiders, extending his love to them regardless of past or present, regardless of anything, God extends his love to them. And then we remember that God has told us that we are to do the same in his name. Brothers, sisters, this is what this series about outsiders is really all about. It is about how God treats the outsiders, how God treats us, as outsiders and remembering that God has called us to do the same in his name for those around us who are outsiders as well. I hope, brothers and sisters, that this doesn't send you away feeling all guilty and shameful or whatever. I mean, there is a good, healthy sense of guilt sometimes that, that it can accompany us when we remember those times where we didn't do what God called us to do among the outsiders. At the same time, hopefully you can remember, cling to the reality of your status as an outsider who has brought, been brought in by the love of God. And in remembering the joy and the reality of your salvation, in remembering that you were once outside but were brought inside, in remembering that you can go with me as we live our lives joyously embracing the outsider not as a burden, not as a task, not as an onerous thing, but as a joy because this is what God has done for us. So brothers and sisters, 
let us remember the overwhelming grace and love that God poured out upon Rahab, bringing her into not only the fold of Israel, but bringing her into the very lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the story of Rahab. N not because it's sensational, not because it's so uh, dramatic in terms of how bad she was and her tremendous turnaround, but, but because it reminds us of our reality. It reminds us of how we were once rebels against you and how you brought us in through Jesus Christ. It reminds us of your great grace and love to all of your image bearers. And it reminds us of our call to joyfully extend love to all of your children. Lord, help us. Help us to go out with joy, to be sent forth with peace. Lord, may the mountains and valleys and trees break forth in praise for you, O oh God, for your grace and your love, and your mercy, your holiness, and righteousness, your truth, and justice are beyond all that we could ever imagine. And we stand in awe. Lord, we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for you are our God and King. Thank you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As